Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life in excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric, E-R-I-K dot Anderson at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The gospel of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning. I'm Pastor Ben. And it is my, my challenge to follow up all those wonderful memories, right? Haven't you guys been having a great time hearing all the stories of new life? But one of my favorite things about stories is actually the pictures connected to the stories. Right, those things that we can't pretend didn't happen because we have those pictures that will always show us that this actually is what happened. This is actually what we wore. You see, for a lot of us, when we look back at our pictures, especially high school, where our style is like the currency of the day, uh, don't we laugh? I mean, the things that we thought we had to wear in high school, we thought were so important to buy and own and to have the most trendiest clothes, now we're just laughable. I mean, if you grew up in the 60s and 70s, you know what I'm talking about, right? The bell bottoms? right? Maybe you still have them tucked away someplace. If you grew up in the 80s, you have stone-washed jeans, right? Awesome. Very, very cool, you guys. Most recently, the new trend has been the skin-tight, skinny jeans. So if you're in high school right now or recently been in high school, you probably have a pair of those things, and you have to jump and hop and pull those things on to be cool. (laughs) But we all have our things, right? Maybe some of you right now are thinking, jeans. We weren't allowed to wear jeans. Those are for slackers, We wore dress slacks and dresses. That's what we wore. But we all have something, don't we? We all have some sort of clothing that defined our generation. Now, I went to high school in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so our big thing was the big, baggy jeans. I mean, just huge. I can't even begin to describe. They looked like big dresses, basically. But we thought they were so cool. There was enough material in our jeans that we could build like five or six of the skinny jeans that they have out right now. I mean, just very, 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 very cool. But also, there was another trend that happened when I was in high school. It was actually a bracelet we all wore. 
Now, this was something that actually snuck into the church, right? It, it was a good thing, and it, and it was part of the church culture, but it also went into popular culture as well. You see, it was a WWJD bracelet, and those letters stood for, what would Jesus do? And we'd wear it on a wrist, and, and the principle, the idea was very, very simple. We, when we when encounter a new life situation, right, when we went through life and we didn't know what to do, we would look at our wrist and we'd see... What would Jesus do, right? And we tried to live out what Christ would do in that moment. Now, I hadn't thought about these bracelets in in a long time, like 20 years, basically. But the other day I was working and my daughter came in and she was holding something in her hand and she brought it over to me and she insisted that I put it on. Now, when I looked closer, I realized what she was holding. It was a WWJD bracelet, right? What would Jesus do? I didn't know these things existed still, but somehow she found one and she would not leave me alone until I put it on. Now I have to admit, I thought this whole thing was hilarious because one, it reminded me of high school 20 years ago. The other thing is I thought it was so funny because of the sermon series that we're currently in. You see, last week we started a sermon series called Unfiltered Jesus. And this has been our goal to dig into the gospels, to dig into the biographies of Christ and see the real Jesus. Because as we started last week, we've already seen that even though Jesus is always loving, that doesn't mean that he's always nice and he's not always kind and he doesn't always have nice words for people. You see, most time when we wear bracelets like this, this is what we assume that Christ is, right? Just nice and, and kind and loving and he cuddled with everybody. But there's a problem, isn't there? A nice and kind person doesn't end up on the cross. And as we start into that sermon series, we've realized that there's some edges there. There's a lot of love, but that love is always mixed with truth. So if you missed out last week, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't get why the WWJD bracelet is funny, you can go to our website and you can watch the sermon. You can get reconnected. But here's the basics of what we talked about, right? We encounter this very real, very unfiltered Jesus last week. And we realized that within that mantra of WWJD, that built into that idea of what would Jesus do, that calling people names is not out of bounds. And not only not calling people names is not out of bounds, but also associating with people that your mom does not want you to hang out with is not out of bounds. You see, Jesus came with love and care for the people that we don't really want to hang out with, that we'd be concerned that we'd be associated with them. And he also called people out when they weren't going in the right path because he loved them dearly. And today we're going to find out some more uncomfortable things about Jesus that might throw our bracelet off kilter a little bit. And this is what we find in the book of John. The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went to Jerusalem. So as we step into the scripture today, we actually step into a moment in time that's very similar to what we're doing today, right? They were throwing a party of remembrance. You see, they would all gather in Jerusalem. They had this big party that was actually mandated by law that they had to go, which is a great party, by the way. If you have to go to a party by law, your government is doing a good thing, right? So this is wonderful. They're all going to Jerusalem, and this is what they're remembering. They're remembering that back in the day, hundreds of years before this, their nation, their people were enslaved in Egypt, but God rescued them and turn them into a nation. And God had blessed them richly. And so they'd all get together and they would celebrate that. And they would share stories and they'd eat food and they would just have a great time together. Now, part of that was they'd also offer sacrifices at the time. 
right? They would bring the animal forward. They would sacrifice it to cover their sins. And also they would share extra goods to the temple, right? To help provide, give offerings to the temple financially as well. And then also if they hadn't done it yet, they would pay the temple tax. And so that's what Passover was all about. Now, if you were a good Jewish person and you followed the law, you would show up. And so Jesus was a good Jewish person. And so he shows up at the Passover in Jerusalem. Specifically, we find him in the temple. And as he goes in the temple, this is what he finds. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves. And the money changers seated at their tables. So as Jesus walks into the temple, he actually finds some ministry going on. He finds a ministry going on. Now, why do I call it a ministry? Because it wasn't like these people just snuck into the temple, right? They got the approval of the leadership. And they walked in to do a service for the people. It was a service for the people because when people came to Jerusalem for the Passover and they wanted to offer sacrifices, it was incredibly inconvenient for them to travel these animals all across the world to bring them to Jerusalem for the sacrifice. And so they set up this ministry for the people. They had the animals there. And you could buy an animal there for your sacrifice without having to haul it all the way to Jerusalem from wherever you were living at the time. Now, they also had this thing for money exchange. You see, the temple only accepted one type of currency. And so if you lived in a foreign land, you had to have your money exchanged. It'd be very similar to us only accepting pesos at New Life Lutheran. And then when you came in, you had to get your American dollar switched over to the peso so that we could accept it, right? So this is just a ministry of the temple to help people do what they need to do. Now, when Jesus walks in and he sees this, he has an interesting response, which kind of makes us honestly a little bit uncomfortable if you're wearing a what would Jesus do bracelet, or if you are a parent giving your child a what would Jesus do bracelet, or you think this is a great idea, because here's something that's within bounds of that conversation. Step one, make a whip of cords. All right. Probably not something you want your kids to do, right? When you hand them a bracelet. But this is what Jesus does. He sits down, he sees something that bothers him, and he makes a whip of cords. Now, why is he doing this? Because in the temple, there were not, they were not allowed to have weapons, right? It's not like he could walk in with a sword or a spear or, or a whip. And so he finds some leather straps, probably from the animals that had been passed away already, that are already sacrificed. He takes that leather and he just begins to weave it together which means this is premeditated, right? He's thinking about this. Well, here's step two. He drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. So he's finished making his whip and he goes at the people and he goes at the cattle and sheep and he drives them out of the temple. So step two, and your what would Jesus do mantra, make a whip, drive people out of the temple. All right, here's step three. He also poured out the coins of the money changers. So he comes back in after driving these people out. And if they were still there, if they were still brave enough to be near their stuff, after he's running around with a whip, he takes out their money and he dumps it all over the ground. Here's step four. And he overturned their tables. So now he has built a whip chased people out of the temple, chased the animals out of the temple, dumped all of their money on the ground, and now he's flipping their tables. There's one more step. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. So he hits up the last people are still selling. The people are selling the doves. 
which is the sacrifice offered by poor people. And he goes to him and says, look, you got to leave too. You need to stop making my father's house a marketplace. Now, one of my favorite things about this story is that it's actually recorded in all four gospels, all four biographies of Christ, which means we get unique details in each gospel message. So we actually get a fuller story of what Christ said and how Christ behaved in this moment. You see, he didn't just say, stop making my father's house a marketplace. He also said, you're making this house a den of robbers. And he also said, this is meant to be a house of prayer, right? He has all these harsh words. Now, as he's saying these words and as he's behaving this way, his disciples are there. And you got to imagine they're like, whoa, what do we get ourselves into? I mean, our master, our boss, he's running around. He's chasing people with whips. He's swinging around his head. He's throwing money on the ground. He's flipping tables. They're a little bit concerned, but this is their response. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. You see, as they're taking all of this in, they remember there's a section in their Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament that says these words in the book of Psalms, the 69th Psalm, that zeal for your house will consume me. And they see the correlation. They see Christ's passion for God's house. They see Christ's passion for the temple. Now, why was he behaving this way? Why was he so passionate? Why would he attack these ministries that were approved by the leadership? I mean, this doesn't make sense. Well, let me help you understand it. You see, the reason he was so upset was one, is because the money changers were charging exorbitant exchange rates, which means they were sitting there and they were doing a service but as they would take in the foreign currency to turn it into the currency that the temple would accept, they would pocket a lot of that money, which means they were doing something pretty evil. They were actually robbing people. But also the other layer of that was that meant that that money that people were giving to the temple, that money that people were giving to God wasn't actually getting to God. It was just getting in these people's pockets. And that bothered Jesus because these people were getting in the way of God's mission. They were getting in the way of what God wanted to do with humanity, to reconnect with his creation. Now, there's another thing that, that upset Jesus, and it wasn't that they were selling animals. It was really where they were selling the animals. You see, the sacrifices was given to us by God during that season to point towards Jesus. So he wasn't upset about the animals, but he was upset about the location. You see, they were selling these animals and making these exchanges in the Gentile section of the temple. Now, if you don't know much about the temple, kind of think of it as a big bullseye. In the center is God's presence. And then as you worked your way out, there was different sections of the temple that people could go. And there actually was some restriction of how close you could go to God. Now, the Gentiles, they could only go so far, right? This meant that these people were selling these animals and exchanging this money in their sanctuary, the closest place that they could get to God. This is where they sang their praises and prayed and connected with their heavenly father. But instead, people were selling animals. There was noises and disruptions and all the stuff. And then all these things were getting in the way of God's mission. These people's strategy, these people's ministry, these people's philosophy were all getting in the way of what God really wanted to do. And this got Jesus worked up. But he wasn't the only one worked up. The Jews got pretty worked up too. This is their response to his, his actions. 
The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? In other words, what they want to know is where's your authority coming from that you could do this, right? We got approval from the church leadership that we can do this. We can sell these animals and exchange this money. This is a ministry that we do. So who gave you this authority to come in here and chase us out with whips, flip tables and throw money in the ground? Who gave you this authority? And he responds, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Jesus makes this kind of confusing statement, right? This is my authority. Destroy the temple and I'm going to bring it back in three days. Well, this is what they hear. So the Jews respond, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. You see, when the Jews heard Christ's statement, they thought he was talking about the structure of the temple and not Christ actually templing among us, coming to live among us. And when they looked around at their beautiful structure, they said, we have been building this for 46 years, Jesus. It's not even done. You see, they wouldn't actually finish that temple until 64 AD. And in 70 AD, that temple would be wiped off the map, destroyed. Because the real temple had shown up. Jesus had shown up. The temple's purpose was to connect people to God. But God came to connect with us. It's an absolutely beautiful story. Well, the story moves on. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. You see, the disciples, they had seen this whole moment in time. They had seen their master make a whip, chase out the people, and they heard him say these words, that if you destroy this temple in three days, I'm coming back. And then what did they experience in real life? They saw these people destroy the temple, destroy Jesus and put him on the cross. And three days later, he came back. This is why they had faith. This is why they believed. Because they followed a master They followed the Christ who predicted his own death and resurrection multiple times. And then he pulled it off and they put their faith in him. Not because they read it in a book somewhere because that book hadn't been written yet. They put their faith in Christ because of what they saw. And then they wrote the book so we could read these stories and read this history and see this amazing Jesus who predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off. And because that We follow in his footsteps. We do what this Jesus did. So as we encounter this story, we once again encounter the very real, unfiltered Jesus. And as we see, he's not always nice. He's not always kind. He doesn't always behave, but he's always loving. Which means even when he was weaving that whip together, it was in a spirit of love. It was a love for God's mission to reconnect with humanity. And he wasn't going to let anything get in the way of that. Even man's strategy, philosophies, ministries, anything. And he drove them out to create space for God's mission. Ten years ago, many of you guys found yourselves in in church settings where people's philosophies and strategies and mission were getting in the way of God's mission. Their preferences and their desires were ignoring God's truth. And so you had to do something, 
right? You felt the tug on your heart. It was time to step up. It was time to take your talents and your treasure and your time and move in the direction of God's mission. 10 years. It's amazing what God has done in 10 years, isn't it? It's amazing. I mean, this building is amazing. Our sign up front so people can know that we're here and know what's going on. Amazing. Having a website. Amazing. So many things, so many ministries, so many people touched by new life. Not just one pastor, but multiple pastors. Who would have thought? Right? Ministry staff. Unbelievable what God has done in 10 years. And that is worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating because every time that we get in line with God's mission, that is worth celebrating. But here's where the danger comes in. Here's where the warning comes in. The older a church gets, the more anniversaries that it has, the quicker it is to move the cattle in and the money changers in. Now, you're not going to show up here on Sunday and we're going to have animals in here and we're not going to have money changers if that's a concern of you. But we have our modern day issues, right? When we put our personal preferences, our personal philosophies, our personal strategies, our personal ministries in front of God's mission. And we forget to ask this very, very important question. How does these things get us to what God wants us to do? You see, that's very, very dangerous. But here's the thing for us as Christ followers. This is the truth we know. That following an unfiltered Jesus means loving his mission more than our strategies, more than our ministries, more than our preferences, more than our philosophies. And here's the beautiful thing. If we can get this right, right? If we can get this right, I know what Jesus would do. He'd throw a party. He'd bring us all together. We'd sing songs. We'd share stories. We'd spend some money. We'd kill the fatted calf, or in this case, we'd get some candlelight. (laughs) And we'd share our stories. We'd celebrate what God is doing. But here's the best part. If we get this right and continue to get this right, we won't just be celebrating 10 years and looking back in the past. We'll be celebrating 20 years and 30 years and 40 years of following God's mission to transform the hearts and lives of our community and our world. Amen. You do more work trying to find. Trying to find. You find more trouble trying.